everybody, welcome to another one of our Tentpole Exhibit A episodes, where we bring in the best guests to share their top 10 tips for law firm owners across the country. Obviously, we've curated this list as much as possible, which is why you're getting the Kristen David from Above Your Business here to share her top 10 tips. Kristen is a lawyer, has had a firm, runs a coaching company, checks so many of the boxes that we're all looking for when it comes to getting some awesome insight. And she's kind enough to give us a, uh, a free hour here sharing her top 10 tips. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. It is. It's always fun to talk to you. <laughs> Um, all right. So for those of you that watched last week's episode, we had Emily Hurstcorn on to talk about the seven levels of a leadership framework for your law firm. And the coolest part about that, if you didn't check it out, is level seven is not necessarily the best. Level one's probably usually the worst. But in between those, there are different times where you can be in different levels. You know, it's that old age of uh, caring just the right amount to take it seriously and not caring too much that you grind yourself down. So a very interesting conversation, a very interesting perspective. And then also Emily goes into um, some of the stuff that she has going on in her group. So definitely, if you haven't, check out that episode after this, because right now we've got Kristen here. So Kristen, um, just if you want to fill in anything else a little bit on the bio, I know, I know you talk about it a ton. I know we've talked about it a ton. But for anybody who, for whatever reason, doesn't know you, one, congrats, they've gotten to meet you now. But two, uh, you know, give them a little bit of the rundown if you can. So I'm a lawyer by trade. Um, law school didn't teach me how to run a business like a business. I was working 85 plus hours a week as a trial lawyer. I did legal malpractice defense and medical malpractice defense um, and just kept thinking there's got to be a better way. Like this is miserable. Like no one taught us how to manage people, marketing, sales, like the financials. Um, and so ultimately started seeking out uh, different programs and things to teach myself how to do this and built up my business, doubled in nine months after writing a business plan, uh, rewrote that business plan, doubled again to 1.4 million. And the best part was building those systems. And that's what allowed me to step away, take three week long vacations. And my firm actually was making more money when I was gone than when I was home. <laughs> so I know um, that feeling. Yep, there you go. And so I'm a, I'm very passionate about systems help us be able to enjoy running a firm, but also empower people to step up and do an amazing job and let the business thrive. So that's what we do now. Um, I, I sold the law firm. I'm now I've been coaching for a number of years and have helped thousands of business owners. And I still to this day just am passionate about giving biz nuggets. So people can like hear something, implement it and start moving forward. I love it. And for anybody that doesn't know the full breadth of the story. So as a legal malpractice attorney, Kristen would have to go in and retry these cases to make sure that you could get the different result or get the same result or whatever yeah. um, from that standpoint to prove the malpractice. And so it's so crazy to me that you like, yes, that's the area of law you were doing, but you had to know all these other areas of law. And then now with the company, you're working with attorneys in all areas of law. So this information yeah. is coming to you all as a great cross section of <laughs> a number of different options of uh, potential types of practice. Absolutely. And I will say, add on to that. One of the things we would see is that blown statute of limitations didn't happen yesterday. It wasn't caused yesterday or last week. It was caused two years ago because we didn't have a good system in place 
to document those and de- you know set those deadlines and those those reminder dates and such. So with legal malpractice, it was like you'd see the the effect of the malpractice was caused way back here. And um, I also will say, you know, I loved being a trial lawyer. It's the wild, wild west in Oregon. We had no discovery of experts, so you had to really think on the toes of your feet and like be ready for anything. So I am looking forward to this interview because I'm sure you're going to pepper me with some good questions. <laughs> but that on. being said, you provided your top 10 list. So <laughs> I want to dive into number one because it's awesome. I mean, okay. like this is something that I think all of us need to put as number one so that we can do what comes here. So start us off. Tip number one, build a business you enjoy. Seriously, like I saw so many miserable lawyers doing things they didn't enjoy. And and that's where you, you know, the misery goes to that. You don't want to do the work. The work product isn't the best that you're capable of doing. It, It just sucks away that daily joy of living. And often that's where malpractice starts to happen because you kept pushing it off, pushing it off, and then you miss a deadline or or you're not getting paid on it. So there's no desire to work on a case you're not getting paid on. And so listen, pick what you enjoy, like get in there. Who are your favorite clients you like to work with that make you smile? What are the different types of work you like to do? Don't do litigation. If you don't like, you know, contested arguments, um, you know, find what makes you smile. And I love that you talked about it from the, the client perspective first. Because honestly, like I've had this, I've changed my opinion on this. I used to think like you want to get an idea of your kind of work first, but now I think, no, it's your kind of person. Like, who do you want to work with? And then figure out what work will come from them. um, Because I think that's so much easier to do what you have here in tip number one. Yeah. Yeah. Make, make it enjoyable. There you go. So here's my question before we move on to two, how does a lawyer know that it's working? I think sometimes it's just the calendar test. Take a look at your calendar for the next two weeks and see the names on there and who makes you smile and who makes you want to like cringe or roll over and like, how can I push that out and punt it? I saw your name on here this morning, last night, Jordan, I was like getting ready for today. And I was like, yay. Like I was super excited. Oh, good. Um, I, w- for, I wasn't sure which way you were going on that one. <laughs> no, so you, you, you want to have, you know, like look at your calendar and who makes you like, oh, I can't wait to spend an hour with that person. Like you just always, there's certain people and clients that you love getting on with. Well, then break it down. Let's analyze like what, what's the commonality with those people that you love? They, they usually listen to you. They take your advice. They are prompt with responses. They, you know, th- these are like the A plus clients, but you know, sometimes you really want to help a person through. Sometimes you need a professional who's just like, do it, you know? So, so maybe you're more of a handholder and that you, that feeds your soul to kind of help a person through the journey. And other times you just need a straight shooter, right? You just want somebody that's like, tell me what I need done. Um, so we all like working with different people. So just use your calendar as that litmus test and see, see who makes you smile. And you will find the weirdest commonalities between the clients. Like if you've got a, you know, you've got that core 10 clients you genuinely like, maybe it's, they all came to you with the same kind of case. 
Maybe it's they all found you the same way. Maybe they all have the same job. Maybe they're of similar age. I don't know. But like really break it down in a bunch of these things because you'll find the weirdest com commonalities. You know, they'll always come from the same referral source. They'll always have the same specific need. They'll always, whatever it's going to be. It's just fascinating to me. It is. It is. Okay, let's move on. All right. Number two. Number two. Please don't try to do it all yourself. This is where you get burned out. This is where I used to parachute into law firms and see people that were just miserable trying to do it all. And they're thinking, I'm saving 50 bucks. Or they're thinking, well, if I have to pay someone else, I'm not getting that money. No, you're getting back your sanity. You're getting back. And if you hire appropriately, they should make you at least a three time return on investment. So one third goes to paying for themselves. One third goes to helping you pay for overhead. And one third goes to profit that you can either take or reinvest in the company. So every hour of every person on your team should be making the business a profit, right? It should be doing good. But so often people try to do it all themselves to save money or they do it all, think they have to do it all themselves because they don't really have any systems to delegate people to do things. And, and they think, well, if I hire someone, they won't know what to do. Well, yes and no, like hire them, train them, have that person write the system. Voila. Now we've got some systems started. So I just, I think that is absolutely one of the key parts of growing a firm that you're proud of is learning to delegate. Don't try to do it all yourself. Yeah. I had, um, there was an attorney who posted like, oh, you know, my firm's been open for whatever. And in that time I've learned to do SEO and I made my website and I've done this and I've done that like 25 different things. And it was so hard for me not to be like, I'm sorry. You know, like that's, I'm sorry you had to go through that because they were saying it from the standpoint of, oh, I've learned so much. And I'm thinking from the standpoint of like, but how could you be an expert in 25 of these different things? Whereas if you had brought in, you know, if you'd hired somebody for this one, if you had brought an outside for that, if you had hired a VA for this part, you could have focused on being a lawyer, generating business, leading a firm, building a team, building the systems, whatever it's going to be like, there's, there's a million jobs to be done. This helps you find the ones that are the right ones for you to be the one doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then I love to get all of this together. I, we kind of have to hold ourselves accountable with number three. Number three, set deadlines. I'm a big fan of saying a dream is just a dream until it gets on a calendar. Like you gotta set a deadline. So everyone knows like you're on a mission to get things finished, not just started. So this is something that I see a lot with individual solos, with small teams, big teams. I mean, across the board, an owner will be like, hey, brilliant idea of the day. And everyone's like, okay. But then there's no follow-up. There's no like, okay, who shall do what by when? Let's let's all work to get this done by Friday and this other thing done by the following Friday. Like break it into three parts and just make a deadline every Friday for the next three Fridays. Like it's that simple. But this is what is the missing link, I think, so often to growing a firm that you're going to enjoy and be proud of is, is instead of ideas all the time and dreams, like, Let's get it on a calendar. So set deadlines. That is absolutely tip number three. 
you will get so many more projects finished that way. You know my least favorite word in the English language? You want to take <laughs> a guess? Calendar? No, no, I love my calendar. Priorities. Okay. Priorities. Priority is supposed to be singular. It's supposed to be the one thing. But we find this way to have all of our priorities in order, which is not, which is the opposite of the purpose of the word. So when you have those deadlines, that lets you know what's the priority. You know, if this thing is due today, this has to be done first or by the end of the day. If this thing is due next week, I can do that one second if I have extra time. And so I just, I feel like we get caught in this, you know, work-life balance, have all our priorities in check when there's no way to do that. Because when push comes to shove, you don't know what's the most important thing. Whereas a deadline gives you that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> By all means. Um, all right. And so, and I love this one. Um, for number four, we're talking about, you know, having kind of not necessarily the end goal in mind, but like building something that is going to work for a while. So number tip number four is develop marketing that's going to grow with you. So listen, start out with what you can handle and develop a strategy and a messaging and channels. And, and don't think you have to be like all the way to step seven, right? Like know what you're going to do and then say, I'm going to add on additional marketing vehicles or different things as you go. So let me give a quick example for people that aren't quite sure what I'm talking about. Your goal is to really become known as the guru in the community and the area and everybody sees and hears you in all different ways. So maybe that just starts off with three social media posts a week, right? Just regularity. And then the next step is we're going to add a weekly news or a monthly newsletter or every two weeks or something. Then you're going to maybe add in something that's a community-based item. Then you're going to add in something that's like a, a blog to start building and doing. And then you're going to start adding in, right? You keep going. You don't, you don't just fire sale and try to get it all done and wear yourself out and then do nothing. And the other thing that goes with this, and, and I'm sure you've seen this, is a lot of lawyers will market, 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 and then they get a ton of clients. And then they're in the trenches and they don't market at all. And then they market, 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 and they get a bunch of clients and then they're in the trenches and they don't market at all. And it's like a washing machine cycle. Like They just keep going through it. And I've got to say, this is why it helps to hire a marketing company to help you stay consistent or have maybe a marketing assistant doing part of it and a marketing company doing part of it. It's going to hold that accountability. So developing that marketing that will help you grow, but having some accountability so your team keeps doing those same great things. I, you and I could talk for an hour on this. <laughs> and I'm sure, and we have, but all right, I'm going to, I'm going to drop a secret for everybody who's yeah. listening or watching this. I have a full on marketing company. I don't practice any legal work. I'm still not happy with any of my own marketing. It did 1.2 to 1.5 last year, just like my personal social media between the two companies. I still have a thousand ideas for stuff I want to do differently. We still have so much backlog information. We still have a plan to do twice as much content as we're doing. But we got that much done to get that much done, to know what to make the next week, to know what works, have a better idea. So like, don't ever think this will be perfect, but please allow that to like be liberating to you. 
allow that to let you free you up to try new things and give it a shot and put in the effort as opposed to thinking like, I need to be Gary V tomorrow. Yeah. I I think the other part to that is, um, again, back to those systems, like marketing systems, figure out your social media strategy, timing, hire that marketing assistant. Um, I mean, I've got dozens of clients that have gotten get staffed up marketing assistants who now crank that wheel every single month, like every week. It, it just, it's smooth. It goes out. Then we build in the newsletter and then we build in the next part. And, and next thing you know, the owner, yes, you have to help with content and final reviews, but now instead of that 10, spending 10 hours a month, it's one hour of editing or something like that. And so it, it just that now you freed up eight, nine hours of time to like get to that next project. And, and I will agree, like, I'm no judgment myself as well. Like the marketing that worked a year ago has changed and now we're trying new things. And so you're always innovating, you're always pivoting and adapting. Um, but the biggest thing is develop marketing that's going to grow with you and that's going to help, you know, be that foundation and build off of that. And look, and here's, if you wake up, you have the the stroke of genius overnight and you want to completely change everything, you can always make that change, but don't think that you have to market now as this perfect product, as this final thing, as this gigantic firm, like do the things that make the most sense. And then you can add on more things. You can grow from there. You can build on top of this as long as you continue to want the same things out of your firm or the same kind of cases or the same kind of clients or however you want to put it. Yeah. Important caveat. How do we pay for this? Tip number five, you've got to be a good money manager. Now, this is where I get frustrated with a lot of lawyers who grow, 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 and they create debt, debt, debt. You know, it's like, no, you've always got to be meticulous with your client's money. You got to be meticulous with your own money. You've got to really pay attention to what your profit margin is and what the profit is what it's not just the money you put in your pocket. It's, it's what gives you opportunities. It gives you that ability to say yes, when something pops up and you're like, Ooh, I want to try that. Right. That marketing that you want to do that, you know, new trip that that's conference you want to go to where you're going to meet new people and network and bring in more business. And so Being a good money manager, absolutely one of the vital parts of building a business you're proud of. We've got to show our clients that we respect money. We've got to, you know, really send that positive message to our team, to the community. Like we are a solid, stable business. We are not like constantly, oh my God, we're going to have to fire everyone and close the doors, right? No one wants to work with that company, for that company or with that company. Um, so you've got to practice being a good money manager. And sometimes that just means set aside an hour or two a week to look at your numbers, be responsive, work on that. Don't be scattered all over through the week. Just pick an hour every Thursday morning is what I do. So be a good money manager. There we go. And I, I, I'm sure you see the same thing. I talk to so many lawyers who are like, I want to have a million dollar firm. How can I do that? And I'm always like, spend a million dollars. That's how you can be a million dollar firm. I'm assuming you want to be profitable and put some money in your pocket. So then it becomes yeah. like a more serious question. 
Um, but like that's the the most common thing I see is this like gross revenue number without the interest of what that takes or how that plays out. Uh, which is why I'll give I got to give a shout out to you all for the financial systems workshop. Like you've got spreadsheets that break this stuff down that do the three or four X for the employees that go through you know profitability across these things. Like a couple grand paying for something like that, if you have nothing in place right now, will save you tens of thousands of dollars, trust yes. me, or yes. hundreds of thousands of dollars, trust yes. me. <laughs> well, uh, and I will also do a shout out to, um, you know, I mean, we've got amazing financial coaches on our team, Terrell Turner, Marie Pugh's amazing individuals. They both run their own bookkeeping companies. They get it. They understand how to simplify it down and make it easy for business owners to understand their numbers so that they can then ask for what they need from their their bookkeeping companies or CPAs. So, you know, part of being a good money manager is like learning that base. Um, Chelsea Williams does a great job of helping train attorneys and and educating them and and really getting them to think about their profit margins and, you know, being that CFO at times to like, really make people step up and pay attention to their numbers. So I, I love seeing individuals out there helping remind us all to be good money managers. And uh, I'm going to say true story, but I'm going to make this vague that it applies to like 20 different people. So it's always interesting to me because like obviously from a marketing perspective, there are so many numbers that are easy to find, you know, cost of act or should say we build systems make it easy to find cost of acquisition um close rate average case value yada 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 but what ends up happening is at some point if you've identified you know three different kinds of cases you get across three different kinds of channels of advertising or whatever it is if you don't know the profitability you don't know which of those nine options is the one that you should focus on and so like there are so many firms that we've worked with that were like oh yeah i love these you know ten thousand dollar immigration asylum cases and then you figure out from a profitability standpoint they make you know, $500 off of those by the end of it through everything they go yep. through. Whereas, you know, an, an EB-5 visa, they might charge less for, but it's 20% more profitable. And so having these money numbers the entire way through allows mm -hmm. you to look at like what's coming in on the front end and have a better control system because you know where it comes out on the back end being yeah. money in your pocket, money in your bank account, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I love you touched on, you touched on the marketing that will grow with you. We touched on building our team. But I think number six is the key to so much of this because we can't, you know, what, what got you here won't necessarily get you there. Yeah. Yeah. So tip number six is equipped your team to innovate. Like it shouldn't all come from you as an owner. It really, you want to build people up and empower them to share their ideas and do it in a structured way where you can easily give review and give feedback. But we want to we want to let them bring things forward. And listen, there's plenty of times my team has come to me. Uh, my marketing team does it all the time. They come up with these amazing ideas. But then we're like, OK, but let's look at the next five, six months of the calendar. We really don't have the bandwidth to do that right now. So let's layer that in in August or October. Right. And so, you know, sometimes those ideas aren't the right ideas, but not right now ideas. Um, but for your team, you want to let them, especially with those policies and procedures, they might be like, hey, I know we've been doing steps one through seven, but 
if we did it this way, we could go straight from step four to step seven. Like, why are why aren't we using this technology or why aren't we doing this? And they give us great ideas that save us time, save us money. And frankly, now they're going to kind of self-monitor and police it because it was their idea, right? And they're more willing to follow it, to make sure it works well. So getting your team to innovate and come forward with ideas and help change the policy and procedure to fit those new plans, such a win-win-win in all directions. And I will, I will share the, I want to phrase this the right way. This was like the lowest, the simplest idea that anyone on my team had that saved the most time. So we like, we changed how we do our employee evaluations to make them less specific on the questions and more like, what have we been doing? That's been great. What have we been doing that we should stop? What roadblocks do you find? And somebody was like, I spend so much time writing out our address because from the PI firm side, we have so much certified mail for requesting records and this and that and the other, and they were writing it out. And they're like, can we just get, you know, stickers or a stamp? And oh my God, if that $20 stamp hasn't saved like 150 100. hours at by this point, it was like mind boggling. And there's, yeah. and look, I got to be honest, addressing uh, mail is my kryptonite. I do not know which side the stamp goes on. My dad worked for the post office. He literally delivered mail for his job. And I cannot write out a letter without truly thinking about the stamp on the right side, return address on the top left. Every time it's like, <laughs> I would never do that one. Cause I just, I, I avoid uh, addressing mail, but it was such a, an important thing and such a slight innovation that saved so much time that made mm -hmm. it so much easier that made it, you know, more consistent. Um, and you'll take that same idea. And then there'll also be things like, oh, what if we marketed this this way? And next thing you know, it's a million, you know, it attracted a million dollar case uh, just as easily as the stamp for our address. So I've got a similar one for a different practice area for estate planning lawyers. They at signings, there's probably like 15 places you got to put. Maybe it depends on how big the estate plan is, but then you got to put these, the date, right? And it is so much easier to just get a date stamp. And that way they go through and stamp all the places where the date needs to be. So it's all uniform, nothing gets missed. And that way it's, it's, it's just done. So when the client sits down to sign, they're not having to do that extra step. And it's so quick and easy for the staff to like get that prepped in advance. It is a huge time saver. There we go. It's like little things like that, but you know, a thousand of those little things add up to a completely different firm or a completely different client experience. Like it is amazing to see how these things snowball in a good way. Dovetail, yeah. I don't yeah. know everyone felt it. Yeah. All right. So now um, I think that goes right into number seven, because like ultimately we've got people with these ideas, but we need number seven to make sure it's the right stuff or it's implemented right. the right way. So tip number seven, create open lines of communication. So what do I mean by that? With your team, you've got to set some levels of like, how can they get in contact with you? When should they come to you? When should they go to other team members? So there's a couple elements here. Number one, have a hierarchy of at least a little bit. Like when do things need to come to you as the owner that like, hey, if anybody on the team here heard in my law firm, the word malpractice, right? Come to me immediately, whether it was said by a client, whether it was uttered by a paralegal, like tell me if you think that there's going to be malpractice in our business do not stop and collect $200, come straight to me, right? 
Um, but it's also learning to have the team develop communication so that they can connect with one another um, and, and head off any issues because Slack or email can feel cold and like it's hard to read the tone and you don't hear that smile in the voice sometimes. And so somebody is like, well, so-and-so is snapping at me on Slack. Well, how do you know they're snapping at you? Yeah, they're trying to get it done, but you're reading into the between the lines that there's some emotion that may or may not be there. And um, so, so real quick, I'll share um, a, a good thing to do is create a hierarchy as well with what types of communication. So what is Slack used for or direct messaging? When do they use an email? When do they jump on a Zoom or Huddle or Teams call, right? And, and should it be video or just voice, right? Um, I think I run a virtual company. I think it's great to have just some FaceTime, a smile. How are you doing to build that, that develop that team? And then when to text somebody or, you know, pick up a phone and call them, right? Like have a little structure of what to do. I, quick story. As my team started growing, I now have like 23 plus people, but when my team started growing past 10, I had two people using WhatsApp. I had two people using text, three people using Slack, one person using Asana. I was losing my shit. Like, I was like, oh my God, where do I go to find information anymore? And I was like, we got to get clear on this, everybody. This is the primary form of communication for X. And it totally simplified things. So yes, create open lines of communication and encourage those open lines. And be responsive when someone says, hey, Kristen, I need to talk to you. Like, yes, what can I, you know, I'll give you five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, don't shut them down. What and do you I, think? Yes, totally. And when there's, like, I find if you are specifically giving feedback, your paralegal sends you a document, or in my case, you know, a video editor sent me a video. I prefer responding with Loom or a Google Meet video rather than just typing it out, I can show them the clip, I can go through that stuff, I can highlight it. But also what you said about the tone, especially if you're remote, or especially if people aren't in the office at the same time, or especially if you're reviewing this at home at you know eight o'clock at night and to come back in the office the next day, that tone will come up so much better. It will come up so much differently than like just typing away on, I can't believe you left this on you know at um, 37 seconds in, it says blah, 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 it should be blah, blah, blah. Little things like that will add up. And I know like if you Slack, you can Slack a Zoom link. If you want to, yeah. you can email it. Like there's all sorts of different options yep. Um, yep. along those lines, but I'm, I'm there with you. Yeah. And, and so open lines of communication, everybody's make sure your, your team knows that you, you appreciate their feedback. You want feedback. You want to be alerted if there seems to be a problem going on between team members Maybe you're in the middle of it. Maybe you're just watching it start to explode, right? They need to step up and communicate and say, hey, I think we have a problem that needs to be addressed here. Don't, don't wait till it becomes like a fire. Don't wait till it's like out of control. Let's nip it in the bud early and address it. So I encourage team members all the time to, hey, if, if you're struggling with working with somebody, let's dig in and figure out how, what, what caused this and how can we make it better and move forward? So have those open lines of communi communication with your team. And I want to, I want to reply to that, but if I do, I, it's going to like, 
eight. I think if you do tip eight, it's more on what I want to say. So okay. let's just jump into that. <laughs> All right. Tip number eight, be intentional to develop a great culture, like a culture where people don't even want to leave. Um, not only does it make it more fun to go to work every day and, and, and like interact and do things, but people are going to refer other people to come join your team. It's, it's going to be like so many people are having trouble hiring. Some of my firms aren't having that problem because literally other paralegals and associates are like, can we come join you? Um, we get a ton of requests on our job board people saying, Hey, I want to come join your team as a coach, as a team member, as right. Like we constantly get pinged for, for people wanting to come join the team. So, um, really being intentional though, about developing your culture, I, I'll be very candid. Well, first of all, everybody has a culture in their firm, bottom line, it might not be the culture you want. It might've developed on its own and you might need to fix part of that culture. And We've had to go in and fix that with some firms that ended up with some toxic people for a while. And it really turned the culture of the company and we had to kind of turn it back around. So be really clear from the get-go. Um, I'm Jordan, I'm so passionate about it. This was one I did two years ago, uh, build your culture masterclass. It's still in our business mastery college. People love it. It's like 10 weeks of 35 minute like class time with their admin and so that they can like learn what do I need to know and how do I do it? And it's like bite-sized nuggets on how to build your culture. People still like love that class. It's just, um, you know, a little bit goes a long way as to really intentionally developing that culture. Well, and, and from the marketing perspective, I always tell people like, look, your internal culture is your external brand. Like if you are trying to market as the go-to expert lawyer and then people call and nobody knows how to answer the phone or nobody seems happy to be there, like that's not consistent. <laughs> and so you get this weird break between it. Um, the thing that I want to talk about before that also plays in here, I, I am of the belief that being client-centric is stupid. I think you should be employee-centric. That way your employees are empowered to be client-centric. So like... If you're giving feedback and doing evaluations for them, have them give feedback and do evaluations for you so that you can be the best boss, so that you can put them in the best position because they're the ones who are going to see clients a thousand times more than you. And if the client, you know, the customer's always right, maybe, I don't think the client's always right because you need to have your employees know that you have their back so they don't roll over, so they don't overpromise things, so they don't underdeliver, so they don't let, you know, your clients go crazy on some of these things because they know that you have their backs. Yeah. So that's actually in our internal policies, both at up-leveling your business and also back in my law firm days of, for our internal policies or the policies that for our team and internally what we live and breathe and abide by. And we had a clear, we've got your back policy. Like you are more important than any singular client. And if a client is disrespectful or abusive in any way, we will address it. And I've, I've actually fired clients because of it, um, especially if it gets into any like racist or any kind of like, th there are certain things that are just a, a no-go for me, like a hard stop. Like I, no client is going to do that to my team. But I also help the team recognize, listen, you know, we're doing legal and medical malpractice defense. We're hit, representing some people when 
they're feeling pretty low and they're, you're, they're lashing out and learning how to deal with difficult people and learning how to recognize and address. With that said, we can politely say, listen, we need you to take a professional tone here. You know, we can, we can redirect the client to that. Um, but I agree. It's, it's about really supporting your team. It's, it's one of our core values is, is our employees and that we really support them because without our team, we can't help the thousands and millions of people I want to help. So, uh, but I also think that's important to the culture and who you add on. I've seen some people bring in some COOs or CFOs who weren't the right culture. And now there was a disconnect between somebody kind of lashing down and then the owner who's like, oh, it's okay. And, and that becomes a problem. So as you grow, um, I mean, so this is, these are tips of, you know, how to grow a firm that you're proud of. You've got to build the culture, but as people come in and you interview them, they need to fit your culture as well. They need to mesh with who you, who you are and what you stand for. I love, I love that you phrase it that way, because look, you're going to be hiring people and you're going to have that candidate that looks phenomenal. They've got 15 years of experience, the great references, but they don't feel like the right fit. And I will tell you, I have regretted that hire <laughs> 90% of the time. Whereas the time where it was like, like our, our longest tenured paralegal, we hired, she was working at SeaWorld before us, before this. And just like the way that she explained the customer service that she would provide to somebody at SeaWorld is exactly what we wanted. And so we brought her on as she was finishing getting her paralegal certification, as she was finishing getting her college degree, as she was going all those things. And she's been phenomenal because on day one, she had the right culture. Yeah. You know, on day seven, she didn't have the right experience, but that part came with came. the territory. The yeah. culture fits not going to. Yeah. So the other thing I'd say about culture is, and I encourage one of the seven buckets of, of marketing is brand and culture. Like every single week, the marketing team needs to be doing something to just showcase who we are as a company and the culture of our team. And so sometimes that's like sharing about our team builders that we do every month or sharing about our give back campaigns that our team does every quarter or like showcase who you are and what you stand for. And other people, other clients will want to come join you. Other team members will want to come join you. Like so many people will see that and go, wow, what a great business to work with on so many levels. Like that, that when they see that culture, that, that unity with your team, that's, you can't pay for that kind of marketing. Like that's, that's like natural backend. Like people get to know you, like you trust you by seeing the integrity of how you treat your team and the culture you've developed. So Yes, it, it's a win on all levels. I can't say enough about that. And it's usually the easiest content to create because like, so Gary Vee talks about document, don't create. So if you're already doing these things, you are documenting them. You know, if you've got a ton of these employees, just doing an employee spotlight. Hey, here's, yeah. you know, two truths and a lie with so-and-so. Here's everybody in the office talking about what they named their car. Like just going through things like that, you will have the weirdest most genuine engagement with like that one random client or that one random referral source. And your employees are going to be more likely to engage with that post, to share it, to pass it along to their friends and family. Like it just becomes 
this just great, there's, you know, tertiary wins or win, 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 or however you want to phrase it <laughs> um, in such a fun way on things that aren't nearly as overdone as the incredibly designed infographic and the 12 page carousel and the, you know, whatever else. That being said, Absolutely. I think great example. This is a great example of number nine. Um, so let's go into that one. Tip number nine is it's done is better than perfect. So this does tie in perfectly to what you were saying of, you know, grab that snapshot of your team builder or a snapshot from your team Slack channel. Good is good enough, right? Done is better than perfect. You could recreate the whole thing, make it look all perfect. And that's going to take two hours and you don't have two hours, right? Like sometimes if, if you wait for everything to be perfect, you're just not moving forward, right? You're not getting things done. And so let your team work with what you have, help you refine it as you go. Yes, sometimes you have the time frame and the bandwidth to make it perfect. But sometimes if, if, if you're growing fast, it's just, we want to keep that high level of work product, but you've got to like, you, you got to move forward. Don't struggle to make it perfect move on to the next thing and just be okay with the fact that the next iteration will be a little better. The next go around will be a little more improved and you just keep building and growing. See, I'll go a step farther. I am of the belief it will never be perfect. Nothing will <laughs> ever be perfect. There is, and if it was, there was that very brief moment in time where the stars align that will not happen again. <laughs> And again, I say that from the standpoint of like, allow that to be liberating to you. Yeah. Allow that to just let you let go of it being perfect. Every, I don't care if you do a thousand webinars, if you really think about it after the thousandth webinar, there's that one line you're going to want to say differently. There's that one slide you want to punch up. There's that one, you know, the giveaway was to the wrong restaurant. Just be okay with it and do it and just do your best. Like that's the more yeah. important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of, if we get down on ourselves for every little thing we could have done, should have done, right? You you waste so much mental energy in that space, and you just have to accept. Like, listen, I I did a I did a great job. Like, I you know I got that accomplished. I finished that. Um, I I also think it ties in a little bit. Our our theme of the year every year at Upleveling Your Business, we pick a different theme and. Um, in the past, it's been like experience life and seeing things from new perspectives. And, and this year, it's the year of resiliency. It's all about like, it's like a muscle that you have to like exercise, right? It's to be resilient. There's a great quote about learning to thrive in the face of adversity, right? There are snowballs coming left and right at a business owner. And you got to learn to say, Okay, so we're going to deal with it. What do we need to do? Okay, that sucks, but let's move forward, right? You you learn to acknowledge it and then pivot and figure out what that what are you going to do to you know like there's no benefit of letting it ruin your day, letting it like transform your whole emotional being. Quit wasting all that mental energy. Acknowledge whatever came at you be resilient and saying, okay, we, you know, we're just going to pivot and go this other direction now. And life is a lot happier when you do, but listen, we all have to practice resiliency. It's, it, it, it's something you have to like keep, it's that exercise muscle, right? That, that muscle you've got to exercise 
Um, what's your favorite resiliency story? Like what, what oh, do you think of? I'm not even going to go. I'm not even going to go with a story. Cause I've got, cause you are, this is so dead on um, in the most recent large scale study about success in children. I've got a four and a half year old. I read just as much like not necessarily parent raising, but like, how can we impact our kids? So they did this study. They follow these kids for, I don't know, whatever it was, 20, 30 years. And they found the number one indicator of success in children was not intelligence. It was not the financial resource of the parents. It was not a number of things. It was, they call it grit. Same thing. It was resiliency yeah. because life's going to throw so much shit at you. And if yeah. you are the one who's like the kid, you know, the kid who my wife valedictorian in her high school class eventually got to probably not even college, eventually got to law school. And there were other kids who were somewhat almost as smart as her. And it was like earth shattering. And that's what happened to all these kids. And so whether you had the grit to get through the moment where you weren't the smartest person in the room, the prettiest person in the room, the strongest person, whatever it was, if you could get through that with resilience or with grit, that's how you're going to find success. And so forget an anecdotal story. This is empirical evidence, empirical data. I don't know. I love it. I love it. And I had not heard about that study, but I'm going to go seek it out because I, I think it's something that when we have to teach it to someone else, like our kids, we learn so much more ourselves. We're like, oh, I guess I need to be doing this too, right? Like you learn when you teach other things and it makes us recognize that, you know, crying and pouting about something for six hours isn't really going to help anything, right? Like it just wasted mental energy. Might as well figure out, accept and say, okay, let's, I, the other thing I say in here is find the silver lining. There's got to be, even in the worst of moments, there's something good that unright comes out of what happened and try to focus on that and say, well, at least it happened now at, you know, a $50,000 loss than a $200,000 loss, or yeah. at least it happened now when it was only two people impacted instead of 600 people impacted or whatever it might be. Find the silver lining. It helps you find a little gratitude and and start moving forward and accepting. And so anyways, done is better than perfect. That's where we started with this. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And and the the resiliency, the grit to get through all this stuff is what's going to lead you to success. Yeah. Uh, before we do number 10, I want to do our next episode so we can end on number 10 because it's such a cool one. So don't leave us yet or else you're going to miss it. Um, next week, so you'll be watching this on March 2nd. So next week, March 9th. We've got a Julie Holunga coming on to talk about, it's all in the lingo, the language of leadership. So how do we talk or really how do we communicate in a way that actually passes the right information of leadership that actually leads people the right way? it be a super cool conversation. You can see that back here next week. With that though, we are, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if you haven't saved the best for last, it's been close. So what is our final tip on the top 10 tips to, to help the most law firm owners possible. Yeah. I, I, we saved this one for last, but it's also like what it could have been number one, because it really is one of those tips that it's, it's in so many books. It's in so many different areas of life and it's so simple. And tip number 10 is pay it forward. Always find ways to help others and it's going to pay off for you in Bob Berg's the go-giver, right? Give and then you get, and the more people that you can help, the more it's going to come back to you eventually. Like there's just, there's books upon books on this. There's quotes, there's all these things. 
but at its core, it's just pay it forward, help another human being. Sometimes it's the art of a suggestion of their next step. Sometimes it's giving them a checklist, like to a young lawyer or someone. I jump on with lawyers all the time, even though they're not my ideal client, I just want to give back and give them a little step forward. And you know what? They'll refer me back business. They come back as clients in a couple of years or in a couple months, right? Like if you pay it forward, it's always going to return back to you. The one thing that I want to add, because I a thousand percent agree, you just need to pay it forward from the place of it's the right thing to do, giving back to people. If you pay it forward from the standpoint of I'm going to get something out of this, I'm going to get something back from this person, this person's going to owe me. It just like, it just doesn't play the right way. Like you just, you go into it differently. It triggers that gut reaction from somebody else. Like what's this person going for? Um, You just really have to give to truly give and you will get more than you could ever dream of. Absolutely agree. 110%. All right. So um, to everybody watching this starting next week, you'll see Kristen in our Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers Facebook group going deeper in all these. That will culminate in our uh, one hour live inside the group. So if you're not already joined in our Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers group, now's the time. Although we've over a thousand people and we've done like really nothing to push it. So clearly a lot of you are in there. So I hope that means we're just putting good content. That being said, um, what are the, what's the best way for somebody to connect with you if they know that they need that help to uplevel their business, if they want to learn more, if they want the financial assistance manual, they want the, you know, they want to buy the, um, the, sorry, I forgot where your culture course. Build your culture masterclass. You. Yeah. Um, sure. Just come to our website, uh, www.uplevelingyourbusiness.com and you're welcome to add into the chat and we'll get a hold of you or, um, you can email Kristen at upleveling your business. I'm happy and say you heard this on this podcast or on this um, episode, and I will make sure you get taken care of by my team. And, you know, we're truly passionate about helping people move forward. Sometimes it's just one little increment. Sometimes somebody says like, Kristen, I'm just really struggling with X. And I'm like, here's a free item. There's tons of resources on our website for free because we want people to start moving forward. And eventually they're going to get to the next part and the next part and the next part. So take that one little step and every couple of weeks be moving forward with building those systems and enjoy building that firm of your dreams. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us, Kristen. Thank you to everybody who watched and listened to this. We will see you back here next week. And uh, if you truly listened, I know you want to engage with Kristen more. So she'll be in our Facebook group over the next 10 weeks. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of Successful Attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.